getting up that's it oh that's all i had continue that's all i had in me i have a little song though i just thought of it and i was um going to the bathroom oh it's beginning to look a lot like murder Ah, guns in every store (laughs) there's a corpse in the grand hotel one in the park as well and that's all i have oh hey bravo bravo that was very good you know merry christmas everyone um it's it's been a pretty uh fucking crazy year you know it's been a killer 2020 it has let's just say that to say it's been real the least and we are uh very fortunate to have started this podcast at least you know that's one positive thing that has come out of 2020 oh absolutely i would say it is the one bright shining star for everyone's year as us starting this podcast you know you're welcome people you're welcome you stole (laughs) the words right out of my mouth i mean forget that jupiter and mars lining up bullshit we are your christmas star (laughs) right here we are your christmas star (laughs) you're welcome uh, cool. We're Murder of Ages. Oh, Mercy. We are, and I'm Karen. We each do a story. One of us uh, passed, so before 1985. The other one a more present, so after 1985. That is correct. Mm-hmm. And last episode, we told you we had a special Christmas episode for you. Uh, we decided to do the West Coast. Mine is not exactly in the Pacific Northwest, but is definitely in the West Coast. Mine is in the Pacific Northwest. Actually, no. It ends in the Pacific Northwest. Oh. And then my second story, because I got two little shorties for you. <laughs> Overachiever. Is in California. Well, see, mine's California. So, so that's West Coast. Yeah. Mine also did not take place on Christmas. But it <laughs> what? Is Christmas. <laughs> It, around Christmas time. I couldn't find one that was, because there was a lot of, like, you know, family massacres and all uh-huh. stuff like that. I was like, oh, that's so depressing. Very depressing. Not that mine isn't depressing. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's been a depressing year, so let's just uh, kick it off with, with a bang. Roll with the punches here. Let's go with it. You ready for me? I'm ready. Start, let me roll up my sleeves, feeling a little... A little toasty, uh, like uh, those uh, marshmallows. Uh, <laughs> what do they to- toast? Toasted mar- toasted walnuts. R- roasted, roasted, roasted walnuts. Roasted, roasted chestnuts. Chestnuts. God damn yes, it! I'm roasting like the chestnuts. Good job, Karen. Wow, we are so stupid. That was really good. Okay, all right. My sources are Wikipedia. New York Times, oh, and a New York Times article written by Brian Pitch. Yep. A Greeley Tribune article written by Trevor Reed. Okay. The story begins December 20th, 1984, in Greeley, Colorado. 
and ends with an arrest in Meridian, Idaho on October 12th, 2020. Woo! It's a cold case solved. Ooh. So Janelle Matthews was a 12-year-old 7th grader at Franklin Middle School in Greeley, Colorado. She sang in the school choir. She sang in the church choir. So December 20th at about 5.30 p.m., 1984, the uh, family met at their home and the mom, Gloria, headed for a flight to Los Angeles to surprise her parents for Christmas. Okay. Jennifer, Janelle's 16-year-old sister, left for Greeley Central High School where she was playing a basketball game that night. Okay. So Jim, who is the dad, and Janelle... Grabbed a quick burger at McDonald's before the concert. Mm, yum. Because she has... Did I... I didn't even mention that. So this night, they're all going different places. Mom's going to LA. Older sister has a basketball game. And Janelle has a Christmas concert at okay. her middle school. Um, and so they get a, bur- a bite to eat. And he, dad takes Janelle to the concert. And then he goes to the basketball game. Okay. We know who the favorite child is. Yeah. That would totally be my family. <laughs> I was like, you go to your band concert. I'm going to go to your brother's game. <laughs> Screw Marcy. So after the concert, Ross, who was a family friend, took Janelle home at about 8.15. And then he went home with his own daughter, who is also a friend of Janelle's. So he is the last one to see her alive. Oh, no. Uh, shortly after 8.30 p.m., they, she received a phone call and took a message for her dad. And that was the last time anyone spoke with her. So her father gets home about 9.30, and he found the garage door open, but no one was in the house. Mm. Although Janelle's shoes and shawl were near a heater in the family room where she liked to sit. Janelle's older sister, Jennifer, got home at about 10 o'clock, and she told her dad that she hadn't seen her. Mm -hmm. So dad begins to worry, and he calls the police, and they arrive at about 10.15 p.m where they find footprints in the snow indicating that someone had been looking in the windows. Oh, no. Mm. Gross. There were no signs of a struggle or a forced entry. And with snow on the ground, Janelle's father didn't think it was possible that she would go out barefoot. Yeah. And, you know, like a runaway or something. Right. So the disappearance attracted public interest, including the President of the United States and members of Congress, President Ronald Reagan, mentioned Janelle Matthews in a speech on March 7th, 1985. And she was also mentioned in the congressional record for the United States House of Representatives on April 2nd, 1985. In 2010, the Greeley Tribune published a summary about the missing child and how she still had not been found. Still in 2018, the Greeley police... We're still chasing down witnesses and um, using new forensic advances to try to figure out what happened to her. So they never let it go. Well, good. Yep. So a choke cherry tree was planted about 30 years ago in front of Franklin Middle School in memory of Janelle. But the tree is gone. We don't know why, along with the plaque that had her name on it. That's fucked up. Yeah. I don't know. I, don't, I couldn't find out why it was moved. Mm. So after almost 35 years, excavators installing a pipeline discovered human remains at 4.50 p.m. on Tuesday, July 23rd, 
2019. Wait, where? Um, in Greeley, Colorado. But where? It doesn't say where. Um. Yeah, they were. It was like an abandoned lot. Oh, so just somewhere totally random. Yeah, yeah, oh, a random place. Okay. They were installing a pipeline. So got it, got it. She was buried where her killer didn't think she'd ever be found. Got it. Yeah. Okay. So have a quote here from Greeley's police department to the New York Times. It says, During those decades, generations of Greeley police officers have never forgotten Janelle. Many living in torment over the possibilities of what may have occurred that grim evening in 1984 and what could be done to solve the mystery. The cause of death was a gunshot wound to the forehead. Wow. Mm, Twelve-year-old. So sad. On September 13, 2019, Greeley Police Department announced a person of interest in Janelle's abduction and death. Steve Pankey, a former Greeley resident who ran for governor of in Idaho in 2014 and 2018. He didn't Whoa. win either times. Whoa. He also ran for lieutenant governor in 2010. His home in Colorado was searched under a warrant that stated investigators had probable cause to believe that Panky abducted and murdered the girl that night. Panky and his ex-wife lived about two miles from the Matthews home where Janelle was last seen. Panky had been a youth pastor at the church where the family went to church. Mm-hmm. Greeley Police Commander Roy Smith stated that Panky had made repeated efforts to speak with detectives about the Matthews case, which is always like a red flag when someone tries to you know, the same criminal minds, insert themselves in the uh-huh. investigation. So police executed a search warrant on Panky's home in Twin Falls, Idaho. Um, and on his computer, they found repeated, he had repeatedly searched for information about Janelle. And he also tried deleting all the evidence of the searches. Oh, wow. After Greeley detectives had contacted him. He was arrested October 12th at his home. 2020. Got it. So, he had stated he didn't know about Janelle's disappearance until December 26th of that year, 1984. He said his family was at a Big Bear Lake from December 21st to 26th. Aunt Angela Hicks's ex-wife, who was married to him at the time, said the trip began December 22nd and it was unexpected. She also said Panky dumped the family dogs prior to the trip. Just an all-around asshole. Yeah. He was uncharacteristically listening to the radio on the drive home, searching for news of Janelle's disappearance. What? Mm. When they arrived home on December 26th, according to Angela, Panky immediately began digging in their yard. Whoa. Not suspicious at all. That's weird. A car on their property, about two days later, burst into flames. (sighs) Panky then disposed of it at a local savage yard. So, in 2013, Panky sent law enforcement an alibi document detailing plans for the trip that contained false statements and false details. Law enforcement also learned that Panky watched students walk home every day from Franklin Middle School. Ew. Okay, here's a little background story about Stephen Dana Panky. 
He was born in 1951 in Ventura, California. This is this is like a really weird aspect to this mm-hmm. about this guy. In 1993, he published a book, uh, supposed to be fictional, titled "Graveyards: The Untold Story," and it contains many autobiographical elements. That and he used real names of Greeley residents, and the character who seems to represent his father is depicted as dedicated to his work but giving little attention to his children huh so he did a 51 minute interview with ktvb out of boise idaho and he said in his family there is a long history of homosexuals and hellfire brimstone baptists he said his uncle was killed in 1946 while in police custody on suspicion of a consensual homosexual act. Hmm. Let's see. He graduated from La Puente Alternative High School. January 14, 1975, he enlisted with the U.S. Army in Denver, and he was discharged exactly one year later in Kentucky. Uh, He told KTVB that he left the gay lifestyle and repented for that. So they're thinking he was discharged from the Army because of homosexual activity that would be the time Mm -hmm. so in 1976 uh, he's working as a security guard for the detective agency a 15 year old student and a 16 year old student told police that panky had maced them at a tunnel after they refused to show him their hands Hmm. and he claimed it was self-defense um, he had several financial issues through the years. A trailer park owner filed action against him for debts, and in November 1976, it's reported that he called the trailer park owner repeatedly. He'd either say nothing or he would make threats, including, before you get me in court, I'll take care of you. Ugh. Just an all-around asshole. Trashy guy. <laughs> Jesus. So good. does... Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, good thing he never won when he ran for... Was it the governor? Oh, no, shit, yeah. Twice? And governor, lieutenant governor? Yeah. that means. Oh, that's scary. Just let anybody run, I guess. Yeah. So, by December 1976, Panky was working as a car salesman. And then he became a youth pastor in 77 at the Sunnyview Church of the Nazarene in Grayley. But the church says that he never was a youth pastor. But they probably don't want him... His name uh, associated as being okay. a youth pastor as someone that murdered a 12-year-old. Okay, that's fair. So he claims he started dating a fellow church member. So she had an abortion after he got her pregnant. And he told her he was going to tell the church. Well, it turns out the woman accused him of raping her. Oh, shit. On September 24th, 1977. Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. And... um. It's unknown if she did have an abortion or not. Um, and he talks about her in his book, The Graveyard, Untold uh-huh. Stories. Uh, he depicts her character as extremely knowledgeable about sex, and this character also makes a false rape accusation. Ugh. So the woman had the case dropped in November, and then he filed a lawsuit against her. So Jesus. it's hard to know what is going on there. So he stopped going to church after the rape accusation, um, but there's still records that he was a member uh, until June of 1978, 
which is about the same time that the Matthews family moved to Colorado and started to attend the church. So it's hard to tell if they ever their paths ever crossed there or not uh-huh. at the church. In his book, he depicts the August 1977 murder of Mary Pierce, calling her Mary Arrow. Uh, it's a kidnap and murder, and in his book, he writes that it was set up by Reverend James T. Christie, who was the actual name of the pastor at the Sunnyview Church. Oh, wow. Yeah, and he claims that Christie had a secret society called the Inner Circle, and it was a white nationalist cult. Jeez. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure that guy could sue him for using his real name. You would think so. I, I didn't find anything much about that about that but i mean it seems like that would be a high possibility mm-hmm. you could do that in 1984 he started to harass his family members over a dispute of home ownership so for a year his aunt claims he was harassing her she says he is my nephew and gained control of some property i released he wanted the tenants of this property removed at that time and became unhappy that they were not removed and since then, he followed her to the bank, the post office, and one day she received 58 phone calls from him. Whoa. So this is all kind of leading up to... You don't even call me that much. <sighs> I don't call you at all. <laughs> Kids call you. Mm-hmm. Oh, family accused him in April 1984 of making repeated phone calls, and three of these were made from Weld Mental Health Center. Oh. So we don't know huh. how long he was in. A mental health place, facility, but part of his book is in a psychiatric ward, or is set in a psychiatric ward. Mm -hmm. So, the day before the concert, um, he had financial issues. He was arrested December 19th in 1984 on suspicion of harassment and trespassing of the Norble Credit Union Bank, because he... Refused to leave until he got his money, and the manager asked him if he was going to pay $1,200 in back payments owed to the bank. And he was repeatedly retold to leave the teller alone, but he continued until he was arrested. Jesus. So he's all these, like, snowballing things. Yeah. And something's boiling inside him that up until the murder. And so the indictment, however, lists a number of incriminating statements Panky made in the years since Janelle's disappearance. And I have those. Would you like to hear them? Duh. Okay, good. So, he was familiar with Janelle's neighborhood. Um, He discussed a crucial piece of evidence previously withheld from the public. He had talked about a, that a rake was used to hide shoe impressions in the snow. Oh. And that was not information that was released. Oh. Oh, he repeatedly demanded immunity in exchange for information he claimed to have about the murder. Mm-hmm. During an early 1985 church service, Panky began muttering false prophet when the minister announced Janelle would be found safe and returned home. What? Because he knew otherwise. So in 1999, Panky told his ex-wife Angela, you don't think I could have hurt her, do you? She looked just like you. (gasps) And so his son was actually murdered. I couldn't really find any details about how that happened uh-huh. um it was in 2008 and he told his ex-wife angela or is reported as saying i hope god didn't allow this to happen because of janelle matthews what like his yeah yeah yeah, yeah. But that's just so like all the things he's saying like just does not 
look good for him. No, no. Um, and he gave an interview to the newspaper where he said that he was being framed by police. He was targeted for his sexual sexuality, identifying himself as a celibate homosexual. That doesn't even make sense, though, because it's not a little boy who was murdered. No. Because I, okay, I could kind of see that, but it's a little girl who was kidnapped and Um, murdered. Like, he just had so much rage, I think. Yeah. She was there, he saw, I don't know, maybe he had fantasized about her watching her walk home from school. Yeah. Yeah. And they're, um, they're really, I tried to find, you know, because the trial and all this stuff is so recent, I was trying to, or is... I don't know, the trial hasn't even happened yet. I'm trying to find any more information, but the most recent was October. Mm-hmm. So Jennifer Morganson, who's 52, she's Janelle's older sister, said that knowing she was murdered did give us some closure. She said, Mr. Panky's arrest is, again, another gift to our family. Wow. And she lives in Washington State. Wow. She says, we will li- we live this all over again every time there's a new step toward justice. Yeah, no kidding. And she said her father was es- especially excited to see justice for Janelle. That'd be so hard. Oh, right at Christmas time. Yeah. Oh. Extra, extra, extra. Read all about it. Yeah. My second story. This one, like I said, there wasn't, it's not super detailed. So uh-huh. just to be quick, quick, quick. But... It's about the Los Feliz Murder House in Los Angeles. Ooh. Ooh I know. Um, I got my information from atlasobscura.com. Curb Los Angeles article written by Adrian Glick Cudler. Okay, 4.30 in the morning on December 6th, 1959, cardiologist Harold hmm, Perilison. I thought I was going to be able to say this without peril, but I can't. Oh, yeah. Perilison. Good. Struck his sleeping wife, Lillian, in the head with a ball-peen hammer. Ooh. Then left her to asphyxiate on her own blood. Ooh. So you know what a ball-peen hammer looks like? Nope. It's the one that has, they're small, and they have a little circle, like the hammer head. It's oh. a little circle. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Ooh. Ooh. That makes it that much worse. Owie. So we went into his teenage daughter, Judy's room, where he struck her in the head with the same hammer. Oh. Only... His hit was a bit off, and she started screaming, (gasps) waking the neighbors. She was screaming, don't kill me, as he was telling her to lay still and keep quiet. Oh, my God. Judy escaped, found her mother, and ran out of the house, found a neighbor, and called the police. Back in the house, Judy's two younger siblings woke up, and their father told them to go back to bed. This is a nightmare. What the fuck? He then took two doses of Nebutal and 31 Small white pills believed to be codeine or a powerful tranquilizer. Wow. And he went night-night. He was dead before the ambulance arrived. Yeah. So a neighbor who was 14 at the time of the murder-suicide says Perilson was mild-mannered, but he seemed to be in a lot of financial trouble. Mm-hmm. A partner had stolen the rights to a medical device he'd come up with and that he had sunk a bunch of money into developing... And then he ended up losing even more money over a legal battle. And he came out with 23 grand at the end, but who knows how much he sunk into, he lost, you know. Yeah. So in 1957, this murder took place in 1959, Judy and her siblings were in a car accident. 
Harrelson sued the other driver involved, but only one enough to cover medical bills. Judy had wrote to her aunt shortly before the murder, saying, My parents, so to speak, are in a bind financially. Harrelson had had multiple coronaries, or that's what they told everybody. Mm-hmm. It was actually suicide attempts. Oh, wow. Mm. Okay, here's where it gets creepy. Uh, Beer. A year after the gruesome murder-suicide, the mansion was sold to a couple, Emily and Julian Enriquez, who only used the 5,000-square-foot house as storage. What? Neighbors recall seeing the couple bringing boxes to the mansions, but never staying overnight. They left everything exactly as is. What? All the family's belongings, decor, everything. Ew. Uh, in 1994, Rudy Enriquez inherited the house and, like his parents, didn't stay there or make any changes. What? Local neighbors and brave visitors of the Perelson Mansion have shared their tales. Through grimy windows, one can see a 1950s-style television set, a Christmas tree, and neatly wrapped gifts. Oh. How creepy is that i don't like it the furniture is covered in a thick layer of dust and the living room remains the exact same as it was that one december night oh rudy enriquez who is retired has refused to sell the property though he does go to the home to feed the two cats that live there jesus no one has ever been formally invited to the home but it's rumored that the mansion attracted trespassers for some time Former neighbors have even witnessed people having picnics in the backyard. One trespasser alleges that the house is haunted and that she was bitten by a black widow spider upon trying to break in. Don't break into houses. I guess not. They do have an alarm system in the home, but that is the only change. Hmm. Update, March 2016, the house was put up for sale for $2.75 million. And it sold in July of 2016 for 2.3. And all of the family's items were removed prior to the sale. Mm. Rumor has it that another family after the murders rented the house. And that it's actually their Christmas tree in the living room. So the, the rumor has it that, though, that they fled the house on the anniversary of the attack. Huh. Leaving their wrapped presents behind. Huh. So either way. Uh-huh. That's some scary shit. Yeah. I couldn't find any more, but it would be really interesting to hear, like, if the new owners think it's haunted or anything. Yeah. I bet it is. And I, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if that's why the people kept it that way for so long. They just had those vibes, you know? It reminds me of Amityville Horror. It reminds me of uh, American Horror Story. Yeah, I know. I was wondering if that's maybe the... the, uh, haunted house yeah the murder house murder house um, was the inspiration yeah that's exactly where my head went good job crap i just now thought you might have used that as your haunted oh no i didn't i didn't all righty i have a story for you and I actually do have a family massacre. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, Jesus, all the like present stories were just family massacres mm-hmm. or like, I don't know, just like other crazy like short stories. Yeah. I couldn't find much detail. Um, 
And I was kind of disappointed because a couple episodes ago, I did the carnation massacre that happened on Christmas. Um, the one that happened in Carnation, oh, Washington. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I saw that one on there. Oh, and I was kind of like, damn it, Karen, you know? But that's okay. Okay, so I got my sources from uh, Oxygen's Homicide for the Ooh, Holidays. Huh? <laughs> oh, no, they didn't. <laughs> oh, they did. Uh, so this is season one, Ooh. episode three. It's titled A Christmas Massacre. And then also Wikipedia. Homicide for the holidays. Pretty catchy. That is. So this is the Covina Massacre. Ooh, I did see this one. Yeah, it was everywhere. Uh, It occurred on December 24th, 2008 in Covina, which is a city in the suburbs of Los Angeles, California. Mm -hmm. Since California doesn't get a normal Christmas with snow and cold weather, the town, with a population of about 47,000 people, go all out with decorating. Mm. Um, It kind of reminds me of Walla Walla, but they go more all out. Mm. Um, They decorate, like the whole town, they decorate their palm trees, and they just have like a big parade, and they celebrate and everyone has big parties mm-hmm. not this year yeah no, yep mm-hmm. uh, in 2008 they did <laughs> so joseph ortega and his wife alicia always throw a big christmas eve party and invite their big family over joseph ortega is known as papa joe His parents immigrated from Mexico, and he is the first to be born in the United States, which he does not take for granted, and he actually started his own paint business, Mm. um, which he is now retired from. Uh, Joseph and Alicia have been married for 53 years. Isn't that so sweet? In 2008. Yeah. Wow. In 2008. Yep. They had five grown children who had come for Christmas Eve. The two oldest are brothers James and Charles, and then the three youngest are sisters Leticia, Alicia, and Sylvia. Um, so there were about 25 people over at Papa Joe's house that evening. Kind of like ours last year. Yeah, there's just a whole bunch of people <laughs> just having a great old time. Mm-hmm. So in the evening, it was about 11.30 at night. Everyone was just having fun. Um, the adults were sitting around the dining room table playing Texas Hold'em. Mm. Uh, the grandchildren, some were playing video games, some were playing outside. Everyone was just kind of, you know, doing their own thing. So there was a knock at the front door. An eight-year-old Katrina, who was the daughter of Leticia, opened the door and squealed in excitement, yelling, Santa Claus, Santa Claus. (gasps) Santa Claus isn't the murderer, is he? Oh, my gosh. I didn't actually read any of the details. Oh, good. It was was all over the searches. And so I was like, oh, I bet Karen's going to do this one. I don't want to read about it. It's pretty bad. Yes, Santa Claus. Yeah. So these poor grandchildren, I mean, just... You know, that ruined Christmas for them. Shit, no kidding. Poor eight-year-old Katrina. So Bruce uh, Pardo, who was Sylvia, 
which is the youngest adult child. Mm. Um, Bruce was Sylvia's ex-husband. He showed up to his former in-law's house dressed as Santa Claus. He had a gift wrap package containing a homemade flamethrower <gasps> on a trolley and two nine millimeter semi-automatic handguns. Moments after the door opened, Bruce pulled out the two handguns and immediately shot his nine-year or eight-year-old niece Katrina oh. in the face. Oh, I know. Shit. Yeah. Um, he then fired his guns. Just. open fire you know and um they show a a reenactment obviously of the house um but the survivors were in the episode and they were saying how the dining room where the table was where they were playing cards was just right there like right when you walk in you know so it they tried hiding but you know there's yeah they were kind of shit out of luck, essentially. Um, I mean, you wouldn't even have time to react yeah. to process, like, holy fuck, Santa's shooting at me. I need to get down. And, like, you'd already be shot. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crap. Well, and I'm sure, like, you probably, I'm, I'm not saying that they did, but you might be having, like, a couple of drinks, and it's, you know, 1130 I certainly would have been. Yeah, right? Yeah. Um, And, like, you probably ate a shit ton of food, and you're just feeling good, and, you know. Oh, and guard is completely down. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So after the um, shootings, Bruce unwrapped the package containing the homemade flamethrower and used it <gasps> to spray racing fuel gasoline to set the home ablaze. Nine people died from either gunfire or flames. Holy crap. And three others were wounded. Katrina, the eight-year-old, was shot in the face uh, with severe but non-life-threatening injuries. So she survived. Oh, what? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And I'll read, um, I'll get more into detail about that in a little bit. Wow. Um, A 16-year-old girl shot and wounded in the back. And a 20-year-old woman who suffered a broken ankle jumping out of the second floor window. (sighs) There was one survivor who called the authorities during the attack after escaping to a neighbor's house. The resulting fire soared approximately 40 to 50 feet and took 80 firefighters an hour and a half to extinguish. Due to the intensity of the fire, identification of the victims was done with dental and medical records. After the attack, Bruce put on his street clothes and drove his rental car, uh, which was a Dodge Caliber, to his brother's house, which was about 30 miles away from the crime scene, where he was later found dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Mm. His brother was not present at his house uh, when Bruce shot himself. So he came home to find his brother dead. It was initially believed that Bruce intended to flee to Canada by plane since he had bought an airline ticket to um, 
for a flight on Air Canada. However, um, it was discovered that the flight itinerary on Northwest Airlines was from Los Angeles to Illinois. Uh, Bruce had called days before to tell a high school friend that he was planning to visit, but investigators were unsure if he actually intended to visit or if the flight was to fool investigators. Hmm. So, yeah. Who knows if he was planning to kill himself, Yeah, you know, or if he was really planning to escape after. Um, he had visited the friend before in October of 2008. Other reports stated that the Santa suit had melted during the flamethrower portion of the attack and had... Um, adhered to his skin so not all of it could be removed however suffering from severe third degree burns on his arms um he decided to go against the initial plan police found seventeen thousand dollars in cash cling wrapped on his legs inside a girdle hmm His rental car, parked one block from his brother's house, had been rigged with remnants of his Santa suit um, that would detonate the car with black powder if removed. Jesus. Also recovered from the scene were four 13-round capacity handguns that were empty and at least 200 rounds of ammunition, suggesting... That what had been inside the car was being treated as a threat. Uh, a bomb squad fired um, a device into it, burning and destroying it. Hmm. Uh, they also found at Bruce's house um, more handguns, shotguns, fuel tank gasoline, and what they found, like... Described as a bomb factory. Gee, whoa. So basically he's been planning it, you know? Like, this mm. was no just, like, spur of the moment yeah. type of thing. Okay, so this article that I'm going to read is from the Los Angeles Times. It's Bruce. At least one person reportedly cried. Charles Ortega was shot. After his brother James was hit. So those were the two adult children. Oh, okay. Um, Irma Ortega, a first cousin to the adult Ortega children who lives in Mexico, said James and Charles Ortega struggled to get up even after they were wounded. Even bloodied, they got up, they stood up, she said. They tried to grab him, to stop him, but they couldn't. The elder Ortegas, Joseph and Alicia, um, and their three daughters slipped under the dining room table, along with at least one daughter-in-law, Teresa. Um, She says she had been in contact with some of the survivors. Someone screamed, run, run. The Ortegas may have been killed while in the dining room, along with with two of their daughters, Sylvia and Alicia. The Mm -hmm. only one of their children to survive was Leticia, which is the mother of the wounded eight-year-old girl 
who, according to a 911 tape, had briefly hidden under a table. I heard the shots, Leticia told the police dispatcher in the 911 call. Everyone started panicking and running, and we all dove under the dining room table. Um, one of the cousins said Leticia made a break for it after seeing her wounded daughter stagger out of the house. A source close to the investigation said that although Bruce shot her in the face, the child may have saved herself by turning her head at the last moment. Wow. The bullet struck her along the side of the jaw, said the source, who spoke on the condition, blah, blah, blah. Uh, relatives and the source said it was possible that Bruce had lifted the girl before shooting her. So maybe she, because everyone was saying she was so excited to see him because that was still her uncle in her eyes. So maybe she jumped up to give him a hug and he was dressed in a fucking Santa suit. Like, Jesus fucking Christ. Um... I need someone to come over here and help my daughter, Leticia screamed at the dispatcher. She's bleeding. She's been shot on the side of her face. Uh, Some of the adults grab children and carry them out. Investigators believe that almost all of the younger people were saved because they were all in the back of the house, closer to the television. Mm. Um, Although the 8-year-old was wounded... As was a 16-year-old girl who was shot in the back, the only minor killed in the attack was Michael Ortiz, the 17-year-old who was sitting on the computer. Um, A law enforcement source said it appears that Michael was killed as a result of the fire or explosion. Uh, He was not shot. Um, Apparently, he was on the second floor playing computer games. So, yeah, it probably would have been too late. Uh, Michael Ortiz's mother was Alicia Ortiz. Um, Alicia was also killed. Um, Bruce, whose murderous rampage was apparently triggered by his divorce from Sylvia, had planned to escape and had bought a plane ticket, but was badly burned in the explosion um and like i said then he drove to his brother's house okay so back to wikipedia uh police speculated that the motive of the attack was related to marital problems uh bruce's wife so sylvia of one year had settled for divorce in the prior week Mm -hmm. however bruce held no criminal record and had no history of violence he had been fired from his job as an electrical engineer Uh, ITT Electrical Systems. Uh, There is some speculation that the divorce may have been caused by Bruce concealing a child from a previous relationship. That'll do it. Yep. Um, And this child was severely injured in a swimming pool accident several years prior. So the couple wed in January 2006, but soon grew apart after their marriage when Bruce refused to open a joint account with Sylvia. Hmm. He also expected his wife to take care of her own three children with her own finances. Oh, 
not much of a marriage. Yeah. Yikes. In June 2008, divorce court had ordered Bruce to pay $1,785 a month in spousal support. Mm, but he didn't like that. Mm-hmm. During the divorce proceeding, Bruce had confined to a friend. Uh, his wife was taking him to the cleaners. <laughs> Says every divorce man ever, I'm right. sure. Right. In July, Bruce was uh, fired from billing false hours, and in the and the court suspended the support payments due to job hardship. Oh. So basically, being unemployed. Uh, Bruce was required to pay Sylvia ten thousand dollars as part of the divorce settlement, according according to court documents. Sylvia kept the wedding ring and the family dog. In a court declaration. Bruce complained that Sylvia was living with her parents, not paying rent, and had spent lavishly on a luxury car, gambling trips to Las Vegas, uh, meals at fine restaurants, massages, Mm. and golf lessons. Wow. Sounds like she's living her life to me. Yeah. Well, and like, I mean, how much of that is true, though? You know, Mm -hmm. like, that's just his word on it. Like... Yes, I'm sure she is living with her parents, and her parents are helping her, but... Well, at the same time, that's not his business anymore. Exactly. Like, he wasn't willing he was to help to her. to pay that money, that's... Yeah. And he didn't want to help when they were married, so... That's so weird. Yeah. Um, so, I have... <clears throat> excuse me. I have the list of everyone who passed away. Um, so, Sylvia was the ex-wife she was 43 uh from a gunshot wound alicia was 70 she was the mother-in-law gunshot wound uh papa joe he was 80 Mm. ex-father-in-law multiple gunshot wounds charles ex-brother-in-law he was 49 doesn't say how he was past um sherry ortega she was ex-sister-in-law so i'm assuming one of the brother's wives Mm. 45 james ortega ex-brother-in-law 51 uh teresa ortega ex-sister-in-law 52 doesn't say how they died either uh alicia ortega ex-sister-in-law 46 and then Michael Ortiz, um, 17, ex-nephew. He died in the fire. Jeez. Hmm. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's it's horrible to say, like, I'm glad he took his own life. But that's just horrible for that whole family. Oh, and the survivors. Mm-hmm. Just that traumatic. Every Christmas is probably a trigger. Yeah. Oh, I did. Oh, I meant to put this down. I did watch a recent interview, uh, Leticia, because she was the only surviving sibling. Um, which, yeah, that's you know your parents and all your siblings pass away. Oh. Uh, she did an interview, and uh, she just basically was saying she can't be angry anymore because she still has to be a mother to her kids 
and has to move on. And especially for her daughter who was shot in the face, she survived. And, you know, she, she has to teach her daughter that, you know, you still have to live your life and you can't live in fear and anger anymore. And it was just really like touching. Yeah. And it, yeah. Mm. Um, it was, it was hard to watch. Um, I'll show you some pictures after and I'll post them on our Instagram, but it was freaking crazy. Ooh, a lot to take in. Yeah. Um, I don't have a ghost story, but what? I have um, a little history of Krampus. Oh, I like yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Did so, you watch that one with us? No. I keep thinking you watched it with us. I didn't. And I don't know. I, I just don't really know much about Krampus. So we watched that on accident last year. <laughs> on we accident. thought it was a kid's movie. Oh, no. Yeah, we're just, and I'm keep, like, we're watching it, okay, and then it's like, what? Oh, yeah, no. What's happening? No. <laughs> this is kind of scary. <laughs> this is not a kid's movie. No. Okay, so oh. I, I got my sources uh, from Britannica.com, mm. written by Amy Tacannon. Mm. So Krampus, in Central European popular legend... A half-goat, half-demon monster Mm. that punishes misbehaving children at Christmas time. He is the devilish companion of St. Nicholas. So Krampus is believed to have originated in German. Oh, in the German word Krampen, which means claw. Krampus was thought to have been part of pagan rituals for the winter solace. Oh, solstice. Sorry. Mm -hmm. You texted me and it popped up. Oh, And got in my way. Sorry. (laughs) Sending you the pictures so you're ready for Instagram. Insta. According to legend, he is the son of Heel, H-E-L. It wouldn't be Hell. Heel. That sounds good to me. Sure. The Norse god of the underworld. Ooh, so, oh, I'll be like Hades, right? Yeah, sure. With the spread of Christianity, Krampus became associated with Christmas despite efforts by the Catholic Church to ban him. The creature and St. Nicholas are said to arrive on the evening of December 5th, which is Krampus night. Wait, which night is Krampus night? December 5th. Oh, we missed Krampus night? I know. Karen. Let's just rewind. <sighs> I'm mad now. I can't listen anymore. <laughs> <laughs> While St. Nicholas rewards nice children by leaving presents, Krampus beats those who are <laughs> naughty with branches and sticks. In some cases... He is said to eat them or take them to hell. On December 6th, St. Nicholas Day, children awaken to find their gifts or nurse their injuries. Uh, Well, so this is a European, yeah, European legend. 
so I wonder if that's why it's December 5th and 6th. Because mm. in America, we celebrate Christmas December 20... Well, Christmas Eve is 24th, and then Christmas Day is 25th. Yeah. Because this sounds a lot like... So Christmas Day is the same all over the world? I don't know. How does Christmas work? Because I thought it, you know, it has to do with the birth of Christ. So shouldn't it be the same day all over? I honestly have no idea anything about any of this. Other people have had the same question. Well, in the UK, USA, much of the world, Christmas Day is December 25th. And a high number of countries celebrate Christmas on January 27th. Whoa. That is because some countries use a different calendar. Mm. So maybe as far as Krampus and St. Nicholas are concerned, they're separate from Christmas. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And how long ago was it well, they were doing this, too? It might have been before Christ. Yeah. So And I mean, Krampus isn't real, so... Shh. Come oh. here. Okay. You'll like this part, though. Mm. Oh. Festivities involving Krampus include the Krampusloff, Krampusloff, which mm-hmm. is the Krampus run. Oh! In this activity, which involves alcohol, <laughs> people dress as the creature, parade through the streets, mm. scaring spectators, and sometimes chasing them. <laughs> alcohol, running, and costumes. Yeah. My three favorite things. <laughs> Beginning in the late 20th century, um, Krampus runs became increasingly popular in Austria and Germany. During this time, Krampus began to be celebrated internationally, and the monster's growing appeal was... (laughs) (laughs) Um, Everybody loves a monster. Evidence by numerous horror films. Mm. Some claimed that the expanding popularity of Krampus was a reaction. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah, that was it. Okay, uh, and then I found this uh, little short article by uh, the Travel Channel. So a companion of Santa's, the Krampus is a hairy goat-like demon with horns and cloven hooves who punishes the naughty children. Emerging from pre-Christian Germanic folklore, he is sort of an anti-clause that carries chains, sticks, or whips to beat children with, and he may dish out coal, depending on the culture. (laughs) (laughs) But if he's in a bad mood, he'll stuff children in his sack or bathtub. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) And carry them to hell for cooking. Krampus Night is typically celebrated December 5th in Europe, where people celebrate by dressing as the beast and roam the streets drinking schnapps. Oh my gosh, how much fun would that be? Oh my gosh, let's go to Europe next year if COVID is done. That would be great. We'll do Krampus Night. Do it right. We'll get the horns. We'll get the schnapps. Whips and chains. <laughs> bathtub. I'll bring the coal. <laughs> we'll just like make a bathtub like around us, like suspenders, mm. you know? <laughs> Throw uh, some kids in. Yep. Perfect. <laughs> all right, all you mm. wonderful Krampus lovers. We hope you have a wonderful Christmas. 
or whatever you celebrate with your loved ones, Mm -hmm. uh, you can follow us on social media, Instagram and Twitter at Murder of Ages. Don't forget to email us your own ghost story. Murderofages at gmail.com. No spaces. Uh, all lowercase. We haven't been getting any emails, so maybe I should spell it. <laughs> M-U-R-D-E-R-O-F-A-G-E-S at, not A-T, but the at symbol. Oh, yes. Gmail.com at G-M-A-I-L period C-O-M. I definitely thought you were going to misspell it. I thought I was too. Wow. I was really nervous. Wow. That was really good. Woo. Did it. And you guys uh, can leave us a couple of stars, maybe five. All we want for Christmas are some iTunes reviews. <gasps> iTunes oh. reviews. Oh, and any, I think you can subscribe or review anywhere you listen on any platform. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. Spotify, Stitcher, uh, uh, Google. Google, mm-hmm. All oh. those. Yeah. Podbean cast, all those ones that we love so much do it we love you merry christmas and close us out marcy kiss his ass kiss your ass kiss my ass happy hanukkah